Father, we come before you. We recognize that you are the Lord. As we turn into your word, we humble ourselves before and we ask that you'd be our teacher. I have no power. You alone have the power to change lives. You are worthy of our praise. And Lord, we long to encounter you as a, as a church family this morning. Thank you, Lord, for each person that's here and the gifts and abilities you've given them to edify the body, to, to serve you. And Lord, we, I just ask this morning that this morning would be a, a morning of encouragement and challenge if you'd be desirous of that. We pray these things expectantly because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. If you have a copy of the scriptures, turn with me to Psalm 117. This morning we're going to have a little break between two series. Last Sunday we were reminded that God's word is good for everything. It's always in season. And it's powerful. And that God's spirit uses it to change our lives. Next week we continue or begin a new series. Our lead pastor Scott Lear will start a new series. and looking at worship during the hard times. How do we do that? How is it possible in the study of Habakkuk. So make sure you come next week for that. And actually this evening you can pray for our lead pastor and that he's going to be sharing with another church um, how to share your story. He's going to be talking about evangelism. So please pray for him as he seeks to equip another body. Fellowship Raleigh. This morning we're looking at Psalm 117 and it's the shortest psalm. It's the shortest chapter in the Bible. 17 words in Hebrew. Psalms are unique because they're set to music. And so I'm going to read this and we're going to read it a lot this morning. Psalm 117, two verses. It's also the most middle part of the Bible, so just open it up and you should fall right to it. (laughs) Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Starting in verse 1 with the first phrase and the first verse, praise. In Hebrew, there are two main words that get translated in English as praise. The first, yada, means to, to, um, to hold out one's hand. Some of you express worship that way. It was that way then and it's still today that some of you open your hands to the Lord. That is a posture of worship and rightly so. This word in our text, this Hebrew word is the word Hallel. And actually, Psalms 113 through 118 are known as the Hallel passages, the Hallel Psalms. Although we see this idea of praise throughout the book of Psalms and actually all throughout Scripture. And this word means um, to gladly and excitedly to make a show of affirming beauty, recognizing status, and acknowledging worthiness. It's usually used in the scriptures as a command, this version of praise, and it is in our text. It's a command, and it's usually in plural, and it is in our text, meaning corporate. Do you think we have room to grow as a body in our worship together? We have a lot of time to practice because we'll have eternity. But we can begin now. This is a command, a corporate plural, a corporate command to, to praise, to worship. It's most commonly used, this word, it's most commonly used in direction toward God. And that's what our text says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel. In our text, the Lord, in my text, it's all caps, is it in yours? When it's all caps in English, it means God's name for himself, which he told his people long ago, Yahweh. It means I am. I am that I am. I am the one. I am the only one. The everlasting one. 
And the command here we see in our text is to the nations. The nations mean non-Israelites, Gentiles, pagans. The book of Daniel says that these people worship um, things made of wood and stone. The truth is that all of us were made to worship. That's what we do. Worship is our response to what we value most. What are you worshiping today? Who are you worshiping today? It's always happening. We're always giving praise to what we value most. And in our text, the nations, the pagans, the Gentiles, the non-Israelites are to praise the Lord. To collectively and intensely praise the one true God. Then the next word for praise, you might have it in your translation, and it's mine is extol. This is a different word for praise. It's a unique word. It's distinct, and it means to to lift up, to, to rise or raise, to honor, to compliment, to make your boast or to glory in. And it's done so with a loud voice, to commend, to congratulate. Congratulations! You've done it. You've saved another. Congratulations, you've made yourself known again, and I never would have guessed how you come through. To extol, to lift up. It's to triumph in. It's a certain kind of imperative verb, a command, which is intense and aggressive in action. It reminds me of as a child growing up and having a bit of scuffle with friends. Maybe you remember this too, especially you fellas. There's a debate with another friend, and you um, have been wondering about whose big wheel's the fastest. Mine was Dukes of Hazard, so obviously it was the fastest. But a debate begins, which turns into an argument about whose bike is better, and then all of a sudden it just turns and torques to something else. Yeah, well, my dad can lift up my bike. And then the friend responds, my dad can lift up both bikes. Well, how much do you want to bet that my dad can lift up this house? That's to extol. It's to make someone else's view of God grow. We do it with our dads. We do it with the teams that we like. We want someone to convince someone that our team is the best, which is here today and gone tomorrow, isn't it? To extol the Lord is, to, is where we get this idea to brag on. Kind of a modern phrase, to brag on God. And in most cases in Scripture, as it, here, as it is here, it's, always, it's usually toward God. And it's toward God because of his mighty deeds, his acts. We could ask, well, how do we extol God when he is high and above all things? How can God be higher than he is? He is the highest. In fact, there's no other name higher than his name. How is it possible? And the answer is we raise him up in the eyes of another. Makes sense that it's corporate then. We sing aloud so the person next to us, their mind grows and expands as they consider the Lord. We want the Lord's renown to be on our lips so that he grows and expands in the hearts and minds of other people to extol to praise, to extol. And who is to extol? The text tells us, all you peoples, interesting word, a people is plural and so is peoples. This word occurs 155 times in NIV, and it means it's groups by culture, language, and customs, even someone's appearance, their looks. We see that the nations are to praise and the the peoples are to extol. And according to the Joshua Project, we could ask, well, how many peoples are there? And this group is known for doing this, especially helping church planners to know how many people are out there. And there's lots of ranges depending on how you define 
peoples or ethnicities or groups or people by language. So it's anywhere between 9,000 and 27,000 known peoples on the earth. Anywhere between 9,000 and 16,000 peoples that do not know the Lord our God. Unreached people groups. And yet the text here says that they're supposed to command or can extol and praise God. That's the peoples. We have the nations and the people. So what we see here, this psalmist is writing that all people ought to praise and extol God. I've read atheists and agnostics uh, say before that God's command to praise himself seems a bit vain. Have you read that before? Seems like it to them. John Piper, theologian and pastor, has said concerning such things, we don't praise God because he is in need or has a defect. The reason God seeks our praise is not because he won't be um, uh, complete until he gets it. That's not why. He is. He's seeking our praise because we won't be happy till we give it. Just a little extra thing for you, a little bit of extra Bible study. The Hebrew word for extol has several meanings. In our text, it means to lift up and all these things. The same word is used in another text in Psalm 89, verse 9, when bragging on God that God can calm the oceans, and the word there is still. One theologian I read this is that the more we loudly and emphatically praise God, the greater we grow in peace. You wonder, you doubt, because you've been through hard things and you're not sure if God has indeed been faithful or loving you. How can he be loving when such bad things happen? Give praise to God. As you praise God, what you'll experience is contentment. Godliness with contentment is a great gain. And peace will well up. It's okay. You've got him. It's okay. This is why the psalmist says in 147 verse 1, it's good for us. It's good for us to praise God. So the command is clear, isn't it? Everybody in all places, that means you, means me, praise and extol God. And verse 2 gives us the why. Verse 2 gives us the reason. Let's look at it together. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. We've sung of this already, actually, over and over again. Faithfulness, his love, his enduring love, his triumphing love. Every song we sing is full of God's truth and full of the gospel. Let's talk about this love. So why should we extol and praise God? Why should all people do it? Because God loves. He's, he's a God of love. He is love, the scripture tells us. This Hebrew word was, originally means to bow down. It's a picture of God coming uh, down, extending merciful kindness. Some would say that this is an expression of grace in the Old Testament. It carries with it the idea of being undeserved, that no one deserves this love, and yet God, because he is love, bows down reaches down and extends it to a people that hate him, to a people that may or may not recognize him or praise him or extol him. God is his love. And this idea of this word in Hebrew always carries with it that it's from a greater person to a lesser person. So in case we're confused, God is greater. (laughs) He is the greater one. His love is is great. And that's why the psalmist says the word before love is great. Let's look at it. His love is great. Great is his love. This specific word only occurs about 25 times in the Bible. It literally means to be strong. One of my favorite characteristics of the Lord, that he's capable, just capable enough to lift whatever, to lift that burden, 
to lift that anxiety, he's capable. He can dig in there and lift that up. And what he does is he replaces it with peace every time. That's an essence of his love, his bowing down. And his great love is strong enough and capable enough to hold the stars in place, the scriptures say. It can be interpreted as um, prevailing or triumphing love. So the idea is that God's love is bigger than we can imagine. Think about it. Okay, It's bigger than that. Not, no, try again. Recalibrate. Think about how big his love is. It's bigger than that. Think about the one that you love the most in this life. Maybe it's a parent, grandparent, a loved one that you've lost. It's bigger than your love. What is man that God is mindful of him? He's nothing and everything. He's an image bearer of our Father. How do you respond when you consider the great love that God has lavished on you? Is it so... Have you heard that phrase so often that he loves you, Jesus loves you, that it's lost, it's luster? I challenge you to think about it. When we don't take time to think about God's love, what happens is we inevitably worship something else every time. When we forget about God's bowing down to us, not in worship of us, but to come to us, extending his love, extending his hands, his strong, capable, purposeful hands. When we ignore that or forget about it, what happens is we always worship something else. Then we start doubting things like if God ever loved us or if I ever loved him. Satan gets in there and gives us doubt. Maybe I can't take God at his word. That's a lie. Great is his love. The next word is toward. Great is his love toward. And that word means um, over, above, upon, and even against, meaning holding up. It reminds me of the song that I grew up singing, leaning, leaning. Do you know the rest? Safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on what? Capable arms, strong arms. So we press into that, we lean on that because it's already been given to us. And we have to decide, are we, are we going to lean on it? We're going to decide, are we going to praise and extol the Lord for his great love toward? What's the next word? For great is his love toward us. Now, the us in this text means Israel. The question I was wondering is, why then should the nations of the earth praise the Lord for his loving kindness toward someone else? It wasn't extended toward them yet, and yet the psalmist is commanding such praise and to extol the Lord for his love toward Israel. One scholar I read said, because the wicked nations see clearly how God's kindness to his people is overwhelming. God's own people don't even know how much people sought to destroy them. But the kings of other nations that thought to do it know they can't beat them. Over and over again, you see this in the Old Testament. They can't beat them. And so they're faced with what are they going to do with this living God versus their gods made by human hands? The psalmist encourages them, commands them to praise and to extol the Lord for his love toward his people. We see this actually an example. I'll show you an example from Daniel chapter 3, verse 28. There was a king who thought he was the man. And so some of his friends said, you know what? You should make a law that no one can worship any other God but you. You, king, are our God. And the king liked that, of course. <laughs> you know, you're probably right. Well, some folks decided that they weren't going to do that. In fact, they were charged and commanded to worship a man. And they said, no, they're only going to worship the Lord. And so the punishment for that was death and death by throwing into, being thrown into fire. They said to the king, hey, we know God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're not worshiping you. That's how simple it is. 
So they get thrown in the furnace, this fiery furnace. It's heated up. Even people outside the furnace die, from my understanding. But not so these boys. The king sees this, what happens, and this is his response. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king, him, king's command, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god, which meant him, except their own. What did Nebuchadnezzar do? He praised and extolled God. Now the next verse is crazy, which I don't have for you. He starts saying, if anyone worships a, uh, another god, they have to be cut in pieces and all this different stuff. He just takes over and... The nations can praise God for how he's been faithful to his own people. Let's talk about that for our own lives. This past week, I heard on the Dave Ramsey show, I was driving home from work. Someone called in. It's not the typical call. Someone called in and asked Dave for tips, for wisdom, and that's normal. But here's the weird part. The person on the other line said, I just inherited $50 million. I almost pulled off the road for a second. I'm like, do I know this voice or... Dave gave his response, and Dave praised the Lord for such a gift. And he does, Dave doesn't know this guy loves Jesus. He doesn't know such things. And Dave gave the tips that he would apply to his own life, which, is, which would be consistent, you know, not hypocritical. Then there's commercial break. When we came back from the break, and I'm still heading home, Dave then chastises or encourages people that heard the message, said, what was your thought that someone else received such a gift? It was a rough talk. He says, do you think you're thinking politically how no one should have that money and how that money should be given to the poor? Do you have that money that this money spoils people? That doesn't always show consistent with the text how money can be used. And could you praise God for someone else receiving a dumb thing like $50 million that's here today and gone tomorrow? Can you praise God for what he's doing in someone else's life even though you don't get that same thing? Can you praise God because he's demonstrated his love in some tangible way toward another person and yet you've, not, you've been waiting to experience that same kind of love? There's room to grow, isn't there? That's the idea of this text, to praise and extol the Lord because he has, been, he has demonstrated great love, strong, capable, bending down love to his people. But there's still a problem. The problem is, is how could it ever be possible by methodology and accessibility to God that all the nations and all peoples could praise and extol him? They can't all gather. They, they aren't all allowed to admittance into his temple since they are considered unclean. So the command kind of falls short in a sense because what is the way? What, how is it possible that the, all the nations would even know about God's great love? What hope is there for the rest of us, all the way even up until 2015? People here in the States and in South America, Africa, Europe, Russia, Australia, Kiribati, Nauru, Vanuatu, Tonga, Tuvalu. How is it possible? Bahrain, Bhutan, Benin. How are they going to know to follow this command? What is the way? Only by God's work. It's always been his plan for global worship that it would happen. A couple of verses for you from Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9. Then will I purify the lips of the peoples. Does that word look familiar? That all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. Another one from Psalm 86, 9 and 10. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great. Does that word look familiar? And you do marvelous deeds. You alone, you alone are God. There is no other. 
How did the Lord then make it happen that all nations and peoples could praise and extol him? How was it even made possible? The Lord makes it possible then through the sending of his Messiah, Jesus Christ. Praise God. So Psalm 117 actually has essence of the gospel, points us toward our need, and that is we need God to act. If we're going to fulfill this command, we need God to act. By the loving grace and mercy found in Jesus Christ through his sacrificial death on our behalf because of our sin, and mercy found in Jesus Christ through his, through his work, there's an invitation to all to worship him, to yield their lives to him because he gave up his life for us. That's how it's possible. Because of what the Lord has done and is doing and is going to do in his redemptive plan, the nations and peoples have access to God and can bring acceptable praise to him. Isn't it cool? So now, not just because of what he's done for Israel, but through Israel and providing Jesus Christ, God's son for the world. God makes it possible for us to abide by this command. We're not strong enough. We're not capable enough. We're not diligent enough. We're not disciplined enough. God's grace and mercy enables us to follow through and to, to abide by such a command. In John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, the apostle John declares that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only. Do you know the rest of this one is hidden in your heart? But also for the sins of the whole world. That's how it's then made possible that we can come before a holy God as an unholy people because Christ's holiness, his righteousness is put on us. So when God sees those that are adopted in his family, he sees, man, you look a lot like Jesus. I'll receive that praise. It's for your benefit too. It's good for us to praise the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 3, we read that the dividing line between Jews and Gentiles, and our text today is commanding specifically Gentiles, pagans, non-Israelites to worship the Lord, that that line is gone through the work of Christ for those who believe. It's gone. Because of God's love and work through Jesus Christ, Psalm 117 can truly be fulfilled. Did you know that Psalm 117 is actually found in the New Testament? I'll show you. It's in the book of Romans as Paul is writing to Roman believers in Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 8. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles, that Greek word is ethos or ethnos, which we get our word ethnic, all peoples may glorify God for his mercy. It's the same word there in a sense as um, great love. As it is written, does this look familiar? Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Next verse. Again, it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will rise to the rule of the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. These are all Old Testament quotes of what will be and how 117, Psalm 117 can be fulfilled. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, loved ones, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is so good at his plan. He's so merciful and gracious that even people that were once against him and worshiping the things they create and nonsense on TV or our jobs, he can torque a heart and we become convinced. Even through a praise of another, become convinced that God is awesome. Hmm. This psalm now takes on a new depth of meaning, doesn't it? 
On this side of Christ's death and resurrection, this psalm covers all praise due to God from all peoples because of his saving acts performed for his people in the Exodus all the way up and through eternity future. Because of his great, strong, capable love, God deserves the praise of the whole world. And there's more. (laughs) That would be enough, wouldn't it? That would be enough. But there's more. Look at our our text again. Back to 117. It's right in the middle. For great is his love toward us. And then part B here. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. This word faithfulness can also be translated as truth. So your translation may say, the truth of the Lord or the word of the Lord endures forever. It means to be sure, to be unshakable. Has God ever been anxious? Hmm. No, I'll tell you, no. He's not unsure. He's confident. God's character cannot change and his promises will not change. And we sing about this because the Lord's word is reliable. He is faithful. You've experienced unfaithfulness in yourself and from other people that have hurt you and abandoned you. But God is faithful. He's faithful to his word. He's he's consistent with his character. You you don't have to be unsure. How he acts is, you can always be sure how he'll act. You don't know necessarily what he's going to do, but you can know the motive. This term strengthens the concept then of covenant love. That idea of bowing down is the same idea of love as what a husband gives to wife. A promise, there's a nothing you can do to lose me kind of love. And this faithfulness then reinforces that. It's like saying this, my word about my love, my word is my bond. No no handshake is necessary, but I'll hug you when you need it. I am the truth, and I am faithful to what I've said. I have never lied, and I never plan on it. I'll never be back to in a corner where I have to to cover my tracks. How does God's faithfulness and reliable truth then inform your worship? That's the question to consider. Do I have room to grow in my worship? Corporately and then individually too when I go home and no one sees in the quiet of my own room? There's a modifier for this faithfulness. For, and the faithfulness of the Lord then endures forever. The Hebrew text simply says this, the truth of the Lord forever. His great love has been lavished on us and the truth of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the faithfulness of the Lord forever. Forever. The word forever in the original meaning idea is forever I went to college forever the real root meaning of this idea forever uh, enduring and forever um, means uh, strangely concealed or it can mean on the vanishing point and it carries with it this idea that it continues to go beyond where you can see it but you can know that it's there ah I don't know what the future holds for my babies. I don't know when Christ will bring his kingdom. I don't know what the future holds for Southbridge, for each of you, for my friends that are in the pit right now and my friends that are dwelling in secret sin or for my friends that are winning right now and doing all right. I don't know what the future holds, you know, but I know the Lord's holding it. His word is eternal. And since God was graciously and mercifully loving 
and truthful in the distant past, that means he can be counted on, relied upon for the future. He'll meet you there, and he's with you the whole way. Isn't that so cool? He doesn't say, hey, you've got this for a little bit. I'll talk to you in a few years. We might say that to him. He's faithful, faithful beyond what we can see, faithful. There's no quit in him. You've been abandoned, he'll never abandon you. The psalm finishes. Did you see it? With this phrase, praise the Lord. And it's the same as the first phrase we looked at. It's a plural imperative verb, and I've withheld a couple of things from you. It's, it's the word hallelujah. Hallelujah, uh, short for, for the Lord. We sang it. We sang it this morning. We'll sing it again. There's more to this word, and it means, uh, it means to shine in radiant gratitude before God. That's like a face thing. When I play the bass up here, or you could call it play, when I'm goofing around with the bass guitar up here and look out, I can't see all the faces. Are the faces like this? What do you think a radiant face would be like? To shine in radiant gratitude before God because of who he is and what he's done and will do. I'll show you an example of a smaller version of what this looks like the first time I ever really noticed it. When I was getting to know my wife, Amanda, we were in college in the middle of our senior year, and she's from Pennsylvania, I'm from Michigan, and we're trying to get to know each other as fast as we can because school's running out, and what would I do? And I knew that I was choosing to love her soon and going to let her know soon, and we were sharing about our family and our past, and Amanda showed me a few photos um, she was going to talk to me a little bit about her parents and show me a photo of um, her father. And she was telling me about one of her favorite. I asked, we talked about Christmas. We talked about presents. And I talked about how much I love presents just to let her know. <laughs> so getting to know each other, getting to know each other, one another's family. She had some photos from Christmas um, in 1996. And she was showing these photos to me in 2000. The first photo is a photo just of her. And she was telling me a story about how her father had spent time and energy building a hope chest for her. And it was attached, I believe, with it to a string, and she had to follow the string. So that's my bride. <laughs> so she has, I think it's a string in her hand, and she's like, what's going on? And she eventually finds her way, and she finds this hope chest that we had till today. It's got things from our wedding in it and baby clothes in it for the future. Things that we would consider priceless, you know. And I was thinking this week about radiant gratitude toward God because of his great love and faithfulness to us. And Amanda sharing me about her family, and then she shows me this photo of her and her dad, and I knew I had to meet this guy because he's the guy. I will never beat this guy. Here's the next picture. Yes. See, that's the face. That's the face of radiant gratitude because of his time and energy and sacrifice spent in making something that's here today and gone tomorrow. And yet, this is a, a shadow of the face that we ought to have before the Lord. I'm reminded of Moses who spent time face to face with God and he come down from a mountain and people would see the glory of God on his face that he'd veil it. But then Paul writes in the New Testament that we're not going to veil our face anymore. We're going to let other people know of the goodness and grace and mercy and love that endures forever of our God. So then the hearts and minds of other people, their minds grow and swell with with love and grace and mercy back to, they, they grow because of understanding these things because of looking at you. <laughs> Radiant gratitude toward God. We testify that to this then in evangelism. So Scott has to go preach at another church tonight to help them know about the great story, to remind them. He's not giving them techniques necessarily, but reminding them 
of the mission, reminding them of the importance of it, that there's still peoples and nations that need to abide by this command. And there's people and nations within this body, in a sense, that need to abide by this command and grow in their ability. So now we wait in his goodness and gratitude and expectation. We are to loudly shout with delight and joy with, with our hearts, mind, soul, strength, strengthening body, expressing ourselves Yielding to God's majesty. Some have wondered if worship in heaven will be boring because you don't really like music or worship here on earth is why you wonder. Here's why you won't. Because God is awesome. And everyone that encounters him on earth, as we see in scriptures, that's why you won't. Surprise after surprise after surprise, revelation after revelation about how he was with you there, then he was with you there. Oh, then the worship just wells up, and then you shout out, hoping that your voice will be louder so he can hear it. But guess what? He can hear each voice. He's so good. And it's for your good that you worship. Just as the music this morning didn't stop, neither does our worship when we leave this place. And when you leave this place, this music will stop. But your worship doesn't stop. Your praise and worship and pointing people to to the Lord and his majesty and grace and mercy goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So we can just start the party now. A perpetual party of praise. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Then we're going to stand together and celebrate our Savior. Father, for your word, we're grateful. For your commands, we're grateful. Your commands are for our good. Thank you for your love and mercy toward us in the sending of your son, Jesus Christ, allowing us now to be, not only be the, the pagan Gentiles, but then to become part of an us, grafted in now that you've extended love toward us through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful, that your truth and your word endures forever. We worship you, and you deserve all that we can give and more. Grow us as a church family, Lord, in our worship. Two services, one church. Grow us, Lord, in edifying one another through worship of you. Singing hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs, Lord, for the edification of this body and for your glory alone. And we pray these things because of Jesus, because of what you've done for us, Father, because of who you are. Amen. Let's stand together, huh?